0: Welcome again, friends, to another installment of our weekly audio Bible study. Thank you so much for listening and for giving the time. So I invite you to get your Bible out, and if you prefer to take notes, a little notebook or something, um, and then we can just get through today's passage. Um, What I'm going to do today is look at one of the readings that we aren't going to get to, or certainly I'm not going to get to this Sunday Um, as part of the lectionary readings and um, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So while you are turning there in your Bible, I'm going to just offer a short prayer for us. So Lord, thank you again for a moment in our weeks where we can pause, where we can listen to the scriptures and we can reflect on some of the issues that were impacting the early church and also on how this can apply in our daily lives. So Lord, guide us And grant us your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's passage is interesting. Um, I am using today the New Living Translation as, uh, as the version. And at the top of this chapter in my Bible, it says, An Instruction on Christian Freedom. So the context of this is around food that was sacrificed to idols. So you would remember that the church in Corinth um, so obviously, being young in in age, um, Christianity was slowly kind of getting momentum in that Greek city. but they were influenced a lot by um, by other faiths, pagan rituals, um by the Greeks, also, I guess, by the Romans. There was a lot of outside influence happening. And so the church was struggling as to how to live as Christ followers in the midst of a world that didn't always think the same. So one of the things that clearly had raised its head because this came to Paul and to the the church leaders was around eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. Um, This was a common thing. um, And so normally what would happen is meat was uh, purchased in the marketplace and often that meat had been offered to an idol in some kind of pagan temple. Bearing in mind that meat wasn't consumed on a daily basis, um, usually animals were brought to the temple, they were prayed over, they were sacrificed or killed, um, and then they were eaten uh, or sold to butchers in the city, and that's how the meat was kind of sold and and given out in, in that particular time. So there was this worry for some of the Christians who felt that maybe in eating this food, they were sinning um, and they were paying homage to these idols. So Paul was trying to answer this question. Now, there was clearly within the church a division. There were some people who felt that, you know, they, they were able to, their consciences weren't um weren't quickened, they weren't feeling guilty about that, but some were, and so they were needing some guidance. And so let's now get into this and and read it and we will see. So starting in verse 1, it says, now let us talk about food that has been sacrificed to idols. You think that everyone should agree with your perfect knowledge. While knowledge may make us feel important, it is love that really builds up the church. So one would guess that in verse 1, Paul is talking mainly to a group of the church who felt that they had this knowledge, uh, the Greek word gnosis, that gave them the freedom to to eat food that had been sacrificed to idols without worrying about it. Um, so that is the one extreme or the one part of the church now just another back part of this is remembering that in the early church one of the um, one of the movements that caused division uh, if you like that became like a sect within the church was Gnosticism and Gnosticism grew out of an understanding that God had given certain individuals special knowledge gnosis, and and so this kind of um, crept into the church, and ultimately, at some point, caused greater divisions. And Paul is saying, "Look, it's not just knowledge that makes you feel close to God or is, is important, but it's really love that builds up the church." And and I and I like his comment here. So, knowledge is important. Obviously, um, it's important to to read, important to listen to Bible studies like we're doing now. It's important to know things. But Paul makes it clear right from verse 1 that what builds up the church, the community of faith, is love. Um, And the love that he has used here, the the, the Greek word in this particular verse, is agape or agape. So he's talking about the love of God that builds up the church. Verse 2, anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one God knows and cares for. So you see he has a play here on the whole understanding of knowledge and love and um, also being known by God and being loved by God. He's quite clear to point that out. Remember that in this whole book of or letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul, later on uh, in chapter 11, he speaks about how people should have Um, Holy Communion or to remember the Lord's Supper because they weren't doing it in a very loving way and then even later on in 1 Corinthians 13 in that famous passage which we all know well, um, Paul emphasizes the fact that it's no good being able to have uh, wisdom or to speak in tongues and all these things but not to have love and I invite you to reread those passages today if if you have a moment. So this is the starting point of this deep conversation that Paul has with the church. Verse 4, he says, so now, what about it? Should we eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god, small g, and that there is only one god, capital G, and no other. According to some people, there are many so-called gods and lords, both in heaven and on earth. But we know that there is only one God. So I'm going to just pause there because what I see happening here is that that Paul is saying, kind of matter of factly, just if, if meat has been sacrificed to an idol, those idols really mean nothing because they aren't aren't God um, they are God with a small g they only have the power that we give to them so don't stress about it because we worship the one true God and and here we would have the again the knowledge coming through from from the um, the Jewish background that, that we believe in one God um, we, we know that Certainly, within the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, and even the Muslim faith, there is this understanding of one God. So Paul is saying, "Look, there, there may be these so-called gods, but they don't have power. They, they really shouldn't have power." Um, and he, and he reemphasizes this. So verse six, let me, let me repeat part of that. But we know that there is only one God, the Father, who created everything, and we exist for Him. And there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ through whom God made everything, and through whom we have been given life. So I'm not 100% sure of this, but I think what Paul is saying is just trying to to give clarity to the fact that what we believe as Christians, and certainly the early church, is that through Jesus Christ, there is one Lord, one God, one Father, and he is above everything else. He's the creator of everything Um, And so if our worship is focused on him, that that Jesus supersedes any other so-called God that may be out there. Okay, so that's where he's coming from. That is the freedom that he has. But uh, Paul is wise enough to realize that not everybody is able to kind of accept that or to even live with that in their conscience. So what he says in verse 7 is then interesting he says however not all christians realize this some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real so when they eat food that has been offered to idols they think of it as a worship of real gods and their weak consciences consciences are violated so so a couple of things just my observation is that when when some of the folk were coming to know Christ and being part of the church, they were still growing in their faith. Um, they weren't mature believers as yet. So their thinking, what they'd been accustomed to, was that these idols had power or that they were real. So they were obviously very, very worried that if they gave in to eating this food, they they were by default worshipping the other gods. Um Paul, I think, from the other side is saying, well, it shouldn't really be so because um, our God is greater than these so-called gods. Um, but but he's recognizing that for these people, they aren't there yet. They don't have that freedom. And so he's wanting the church to be held together in love and deeper understanding. So it's, let's carry on verse 8. He says, it is true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. So... Again, he's coming in with his teaching and saying, you know, our salvation, our winning God's approval is not going to be via what we put into our bodies. So he's kind of saying, look, although this becomes a heavy weight on our conscience, it's it's not going to affect how God sees you or whether God will offer you salvation or not. He, he carries on in verse 8. We don't miss out on anything if we don't eat it and we don't gain anything if we do. So he he's almost saying, look, guys, just be relaxed in this. You know, God is not going to be sitting up on his throne looking at us and saying, oh, you ate that. Oh, you, you know, I'm, I'm angry with you. Or sure, you didn't eat that. I'm going to give you a thumbs up for that. He's sort of saying subtly, look, God is not stressed by this. Not as stressed as we as we are about this, but there's another thing at play here, which is which he picks up in verse nine. He says, "But you must be careful with this freedom of yours. Do not cause a brother or sister with a weaker conscience to stumble." So he's saying, and, and I'm sensing Paul's opinion in this is, look. God has given us a greater freedom. We are saved by grace, not through works, You know, not by anything we have done, not by certainly what we eat and don't eat. But he also recognized that for some people, this is a, a, a very important thing. So he's pleading for love and understanding and, and just a little bit of grace in the church community. So if I am in a community of faith, as an example, and I know that for you eating this particular meat is going to cause you to, to be anxious or to be worried, then the loving thing to, to do would be to not eat meat or that particular meat in your presence. Um, I could eat it on my own or with other people who, who are okay with it. But if it's going to cause you to stumble, then I need to choose the loving thing and that is not to eat it. So he's giving the the church this instruction on how to live with with one another. In our Bible study group, we were just sharing last night and just trying to also come to a deeper understanding of this. And there's a couple of modern examples, I suppose we could try and join in with this particular issue. I suppose the one would be, um, let's say we're having a meal with some people and I know that there's... Uh, somebody who's going to come to the meal who is a uh, very strict vegetarian. The loving thing for me to do would be to, as preparing the meal, is to prepare something also for that person, knowing that they have chosen that. The the insensitive, the unloving thing to do would be to have a meal that is only meat-based and then to watch that person feel deeply uncomfortable and, and squeamish as the rest of us enjoy the meal. That's kind of what he's saying. It's to have this deeper sensitivity um, of of the body of Christ. And so he's talking about it in a particular church context. Um, and and yeah, it's 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 looking out for the other person, not changing. He's saying, of course, you can carry on to eat meat. Um, you don't have to become vegetarian, as it were, but it's in that moment to to be loving in that community, putting others first, really. Verse 10, he says, you see that this is what can happen. We Christians who think it is wrong to eat this food will see you eating in the temple of an idol, and you know there's nothing wrong with it, but they will be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been dedicated to the idol. So what we can pick up from that verse 2 is that sometimes the meat that they were eating was actually in the temple, which seems a bit strange for us, uh, us because in the church context, we don't eat meat or, or eat often, actually, in the church sanctuary. But in those temples and temples dedicated to idols, um, they, they weren't massive temples. You know, most of them were smaller, but you could go in and you could eat there. Um, so so Paul is saying to them, listen, although your conscience is clear and you feel that's all right, and in God's eyes it is all right, don't lead that person into a, uh, a temptation or cause them to stumble by doing that. He then says, verse 11, so because of your superior knowledge, and 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 in some of your Bibles that may be in inverted commas, um, I know in one of the versions I was reading, it's got that whole thing of superior knowledge or gnosis or knowledge um, in inverted commas. So he's saying, so because you have the superior knowledge or insight or you've become more mature in your faith and so on, and you can handle this, he says, a weak a Christian for whom Christ also died will be destroyed. And you are sinning against Christ when you sin against other Christians by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong. So he kind of now comes in, the way I see it, with quite a hard thing. So he says, you are not sinning by eating the food that has been dedicated to the idol because God, our salvation and our relationship with God is not defined by what we eat. However... Where, where you are stepping over the line and where you're starting to enter into that place of sin and, and moving away from God's will is when you are then encouraging another believer to do the same. So it's kind of a tricky line and uh, I can imagine for Paul it must have been very difficult for him to be able to write this to the people because he wasn't always there. But the point that he is making is for some people they see it as sin so support them in that. Don't you know? Don't force your opinions on them, um, but also just be sensitive to them. He says, verse thirteen: If what I eat is going to make another Christian sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to make another Christian stumble. And that's a very bold statement to make, because he he really is arguing that uh, I, I want to to be accountable to the body of Christ. I am accountable to God first. But if I know that in this community of faith that I am in, that that my eating this particular meat is, is going to, to cause you to stumble, then I'll choose not to. Um, and maybe, you know, you can eat meat somewhere else or in the privacy of your home and so on. But I would rather be kind and, and loving to those that are in the community of faith, then cause them to stumble. So I don't know how you feel about that. It's, it's an interesting thing, um, this whole wrestle with freedom and legalism, if you like. You know, we know that salvation is a free gift from God. We could, we can't earn it, and, and Paul is big on this. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, you know, for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. Um, But this Christian freedom is also, you know, tied together with a responsibility. Um, New believers may be very sensitive to what is right and wrong, Um, and and so some of these actions may lead them down a a difficult path. One of the other comments that came out of our Bible study was that this passage is sometimes used in the context of um, alcohol or drinking. And and so, the, you know, one could read it again with that um, with that mindset. You know, for some people, it's a, a case of no, they won't touch alcohol at all, um, and and that may be because of what they see from the scriptures, or because of somebody within their community who is struggling with the addiction. Um, and so, I, I, I guess the the loving thing to to do then in that environment is that if you know somebody who's coming to dinner, who is uh, a recovering alcoholic, um, then you know you you make every effort to be conscious of that. So because you may be fine with having a glass of wine or something with the family at a meal, um, it's to be sensitive with that person. It's not to lead them into temptation or to cause them to stumble. So I'm just sharing that as another. Another perspective on that it's about thinking about your neighbor it's about loving your neighbor um, as yourself and clearly in the early church they were wrestling with that i think we still wrestle with it today in in different contexts um the the, the other thing which came up in our conversation is you know and this is a very real one is is as a Christian today, if you brought meat from one of the supermarkets and it had a sticker that was halal on it, you know, would you feel comfortable to eat that? Um, and that's another conversation to have. Um, you know, maybe you could talk about that in your Bible study group or um, amongst friends. Um, it, it's it's about how you see that meat having been prayed over or not prayed over. Um, you know, what happens behind the scenes. I mean, sometimes you know, we don't think much at all about the food that we buy from from the shops. Um, other people would say, well, when we come to the meal and we say a grace or a blessing over the food, that blessing is a covering over anything that may have happened in the background. So it's a, it's a question that's worth talking about. Um, and And I do like the way that Paul handles it. And speaking a lot more about love and kindness. Because I come back to what he said in the beginning here. And this is verse 1. He says, while knowledge may make us feel important, it is love that really builds up the church. So I'm going to leave it there for us today, friends. Um, And I pray that God would add his blessing to that and really encourage us to wrestle with this. Um, It was something that was clearly causing some, some headaches in the early church. It may not be something that we are causing too much stress about or, or, or anxious thoughts about at the moment, um, but there there is yeah, a lot that we could address in this particular area. The other thing too, if you are going to talk about it in a small group, is to, is to think about your own journey of faith. Because sometimes when we, we come to know the Lord, when we're a lot younger, we're often very on fire and very passionate. And then later on in life, we, we kind of maybe sort of um, see things differently. So some of the things that we held onto when we were very young in our faith, um, we may have got to another point in our lives now where we see it differently. And perhaps we are a lot more relaxed about things. Um, So, yeah, there's lots to think about in this passage. I offer it to you, and uh, I pray that God would guide us as we exercise the freedom that we have in Christ, but also being committed to follow him um, and to offer him all that we have. So, friends, bless you. Have a wonderful week and look forward to sharing again next week with you. Amen.